Hello and welcome to the Virtual Frontier, the podcast about virtual teams created by Virtual Team. Disclaimer, all of our interviews are conducted virtually. I'm Daniel, your host, and I'm part of the team here at the Virtual Frontier. In this episode, we welcome Buddy Sonja Breidert, CEO and co-founder at OneX Internet, Rufen Volk, CEO at PowerPool Solutions R&D, and Johanna Antes, Head of Communication at Bright Solutions. Our today's topic is how to kill innovation with public tender, or let's better say how not to kill innovation in the process of a public tender. Aside from myself, my interviewees all have deep experience with public tenders and participating in these types of projects. We will talk about the meaning of public tenders, which dilemmas are often associated with them, and which possibilities there might be to design tenders in a way that innovation is not killed during the tendering phase. You might think, what a boring topic. You guys want to put me asleep right away? But far from it. Let's listen to the approaches, solutions and experiences of our today's panelists on how to realize innovative projects in the public sector. A quick mention of our sponsor, FlashUp. Build your virtual team systematically and methodically. Scale with your business at any time and make work better. Learn in our free training how you can build, grow and scale your business with virtual teams and global freelancers. Visit flashup.io slash start to get free access to our virtual business builder training. For our international community, this is an English episode and you can find the transcript of our conversation now in more than 20 languages on our blog at Happy Scribe Public or watch the video with subtitles for this episode on our YouTube channel. If you like the show, subscribe on YouTube, review it on Ready Public, follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, Google Podcast, or any other platform you're using to enjoy podcasts. You can also engage with our community on Discord. All the links you can find below in the description. So, without further ado, let's dive into episode 38 of The Virtual Frontier. Enjoy the conversation. Hello and welcome here to a new episode of The Virtual Frontier. I'm happy to have you guys here today um, uh, to talk about an interesting topic. Um, we have chosen the topic, how to kill innovation with public tender. Um, for that conversation, I have invited uh, Buddy and uh, Ruven and Johanna. So we have a new constellation here. Um, but before I dive into the topic, um, probably you want to introduce yourself a little bit. So our listeners have an idea from where you're coming and what background you bring um, from the tender world. Um, let's Thank start you for the invitation. So yes, I'm Bati and I'm the owner and co-founder of OneX Internet, uh, located in uh, Europe. And we are, um, so we have a lot of experience doing tenders both in Germany and in Iceland, uh, mainly. So, yeah, and I take care of mainly sales and marketing. So, therefore, uh, I think that, you know, I probably participated in a couple of tenders throughout the years. So, I'm looking forward to a great talk here. So, yeah, boom, take it over. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, great being here. My name is Ruben. Uh, I'm working as a solutions architect since more than six years now. And I work with many huge clients in public tender processes. And I thought it would be a great idea to share some thoughts and learnings, uh, like of the things which are working really nice where public tender makes sense. And also to discuss some topics where public tender actually oppose a threat to the goal of the business. And I, I think like that's a really interesting topic. And I'm really excited uh, to have this discussion with you today. Um, yeah, so let's, let's get it started. And Johanna. Yes, I'm Johanna from Bright Solutions, and I've been processing incoming tender requests for, let's say, two years. Um, I already uh, had some time or It, yeah, the last tender uh, is some time back, but I'm super excited today to hear more about how those expectations that I saw and received as the first reach out to Bright Solutions from a, a customer side, um, how those expectations actually um, evolved and were developed further in um, projects. So as I was just the entry point and I always saw all the wishes and we would like to have this and that. And I never really saw what happened afterwards. And I'm super curious to talk in detail about this today. Great. So um, just to give a little bit of an overview about uh, the different topics, I would like really to get um, 
the experience out of uh, you guys, what what you have like already learned over the last couple of years since you're working in this area, um, how public tenders work, um, what is your experience there, um, then we can probably dive a little bit into the um, part of the dilemma where, where just as uh, Ruven mentioned, right, um, there, there are possibly uh, some parts where tender makes sense and uh, other parts where it doesn't. And so uh, let's talk a little bit about the dilemma between where it makes sense and where not and um, why we do it. And um, also, um, what is the reason behind it um, for, for people that are interested in that? Why, why we're doing public tenders uh, at all? What, what, is the, what is the concept behind it? And um, as you guys have worked in this area a long time, uh, probably we can also talk a little bit about solutions and alternatives uh, that are more adapted to um, the actual needs that uh, business have uh, today and um, how to approach them. But um, yeah, before um, we dive uh, into each topic, maybe you want to uh, uh, explain a little bit um, about your experience, what you have gained over the last years. Um, maybe you want to take it over there. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, so I, I, I think it's, uh, it's fair to say that I, I'm used to work with multiple agencies, um, like one is Opride Solutions and a couple of other companies. And uh, one of the biggest challenges uh, is always that, um, especially huge organizations, for them, the public tender process is mandatory. It's not an optional nice to have thing, they must do it. And so like there are many parties involved and it's not always the project team which has a certain need which needs to get solved, but there are also so many different business departments, uh, um, like an integral part in the process, like procurement, legal, uh, IT, IT security, data privacy, and so on. So, um, at the moment where it comes to a public tender process, most of the work is already done, right? So usually there are a couple of months preparation, um, to, to get this started. And as soon as we start and have the tender process in front of us as an agency, and this is the part where most people just call me in and say like, Hey, Ruben, would you like to work with us here, uh, to, uh, apply and or reply to this tender process? Um, this is usually the point where I say like, it's a bit too late because like there are already so many things specified in it, um, which sound good on the paper, but are like in conflict with the organization originally intended to with the whole process. Because most of the time, those organizations want to do something better in the future. But instead of uh, creating a tender process where they say like, Hey, we are looking for someone who can help us to create a better alternative to what we already have. They take the existing system, ask everyone, like, what does it need or what do we need from system perspective? And they specify everything out, how the old system is working. And they are asked for a new system, which is, which is basically exactly what they already have. And it's maybe not always working as it should be, right? Like a 10 year old solution is probably not the best way you could do today if you just rebuild it. And like this, this is one of uh, the most uh, common mm -hmm. cases I see in the tender yeah, process. Yeah, if I, if I can add to it. Yeah, so I think like, you know, where you talk about, of course, organizations and uh, what we deal a lot with, and especially like in Iceland is, of course, just government. And I always like the, what they say at the city of Reykjavik. They say, we are dealing with taxpayers' money. So we need to also behave well and, and do things like correctly if we are also having taxpayers' money that we are going to be handing out. So it would also be, you know, so so that is a little bit maybe talking about a dilemma, Daniel, that you talked about before, because everything that Ruben said, I agree with, you know, but at the same time, like, I, I also, I'm also like happy that we have these type of rules, though, especially when it goes into government. So if, I think like for organizations, maybe, you know, we could we could maybe split the topic a little bit up in organizations versus government. You know, maybe that would be wise because for the government, I think like, you know, still the dilemma is the same. You know, what Ruben explained, you know, they come to you and say, like, can you build exactly what we have? And they put all this effort in it. But at the same time, you know, it needs to be some kind of a fairness, you know, towards the people who are actually then in the end paying for it, which is in the case of the government taxpayers money. You know, that needs to be some kind of a fairness of how that money is being used. So sorry for dropping that as a ball here in, <laughs> but, I, but I think like that, that needs to, we need to talk about that aspect as well. So, you know, so 
but that's what we are seeing a lot. You know, I, there's one thing, the organization uh, public tenders, and then there is the government public tenders. Do you have an idea how to, to like, w w where you make the balance? Like, I, I get it completely and I agree um, with the issue that uh, if you uh, handle public money, taxpayers' money, um, you should do it probably wise, even even in the private sector, right? Um, but it's it's more flexible, but the responsibility is might a different one. Um, but but where, where, where do you put the balance between, okay, what is necessary and, and what is, like, like, extensive and, and overwhelming um, when talking about the tender process, just like mentioned by uh, Ruben, when you have um, months and months of planning and preparation and everything, and probably in the end of this process, uh, the product that you try to create or optimize uh, and I is think already like maybe, outdated, maybe if we can do right? a comparison there to like, now we want to build a house and we all have it a house in front of our head. You know, we all probably have a different opinion on how a house looks like. So some people draw up a house with three stores and others do it with like 20 windows and others do it very long and, and thin and, and however it is. Like we all, we all, you know, the end goal is pretty clear. We want to do a house, but how to get there is very unclear. So the question is, how can we enable these public tenders to be flexible enough that in the end that we actually end up with a house that we all want, you know? But without going into the dilemma of what Ruben was explaining earlier, where that where it has been, it has been like told exactly that there's going to be 20 windows on the house because everybody needs to calculate from the same base. You know, still we have like material, different material that we are mm -hmm. using. We are, you know, I think it is hard. I, I I wish I had a solution for it, and maybe that's why we are also here because it is a hard problem. Um, you made a really good point, and I, I like the example with the house. Uh, I think we should highlight for our readers. I think it's obvious, like, we're talking about IT projects here, primarily software development. And it's, it's a big difference if I build a machine, which I ship to the customer and needs to run in a factory for the next 10 years, or if I build a software project. But still, like, software projects or constructing projects, they, they basically share the same process. The requirements are slightly different, but they are approached in the exactly same way. So when there is an tender process, no matter if it's government or a privately held organization or uh, whatever, basically it's always about making sure that all requirements are communicated upfront. So we have the clear expectation um, what is the outcome of the project. And most tender processes I've seen are always about projects. They're not asking for a service. They're always asking for a full project. So like we're suiting for the big, all-inclusive solution. And it must be suitable for every business case we have. It has to be perfect. It needs to be in time, budget, and scope. Which is ridiculous because most of the companies, they want also to benefit from modern uh, methodologies like uh, agile work. Right? They want to do like lean or scrum or wh whatever. And they want to... Uh, control the project along the way. They want to optimize it and they want to make decisions on the fly. But the tender process is the opposite of it. This usually requires the vendor who is participating in the uh, process to commit to a fixed price and timeline. And it, like, we are liable for that. As the vendor approaching such a uh, tender process, we make an offer and we are legally responsible for that. For something where the customer is not always sure that they know what they want. And most of the time, as soon as the tender process is won, they start with a kickoff workshop and then we figure out what they really need. And most of the projects I participated in has been exactly like that. We started with a discovery workshop once we won the tender process. And then we committed on the scope and the timeline, even though procurement was already done. And like, this is not really taking into account like what we can do from a modern perspective, right? And it's all about risk assessment and I risk mitigation. Yeah. I would love to add here that we all agree that rules, um, especially when it comes to like official tenders, 
have to be set, um, of course. On the other hand, um, I want to highlight here that um, features are always or requirements are always like the number one goal in um, creating a, a tender or um, responding with an offer, but not goals. That fits perfectly to what you said, Ruben, with the fact like you you agree on, um, let's say, a range and after that you, you have a workshop to actually talk about what's happening in the project. Um, so I think that it's less about changing rules, but more about how requirements are set up. So instead of saying like, oh, we want to have uh, this kind of design, um, is like, hey, our goal is that we um, involve our target group of XYZ more with a new design related to this kind of uh, uh, example, for example. Um, so I think that that shift in the communication is could be key. So we have uh, the the focus on the goal instead, like, okay, what do we want with the new website? Do we want to have a better branding experience or do we want to uh, uh, have more uh, customers, more leads, or is it a totally internal process uh, project? So it's something else that we want to target. While we're talking about here, about the customer side, I often have the feeling like the customer has an intention, what he wants to, or what he likes to achieve or she, um, but the, the knowledge, the deep knowledge about how to get there is, is, is a rare case that, uh, mm -hmm. it, it is, it is there, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, there's always the, this, the, um, discrepancy between what I want and how, how to explain it to probably uh, the supplier or the, the, the architect that is going to build this project, um, how we can close this gap while we have this long periods of the tender process, sometimes months, um, where you're waiting for, for um, everyone get, getting together. And then you have like in the first place, this issue that the customer has um, difficulties to make a right um, concept, um, write it down, what is really the requirement and everything. And then uh, you end up after months and months uh, of um, participating in the tender. And uh, then you find out that uh, essential parts are missing. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to understand where the whole thing starts. And like most tender processes don't start with like, oh, we need to run a tender, right? We need to have a problem first. And uh, when an organization has a problem, specifically an IT problem, they want to rebuild something or build something new, they usually start with an idea. And then they want to try, they try to figure out if they can uh, like solve the idea internally with the people they have in-house. And most of the times, the organizations are really busy with their daily work. This is why they say like, oh, look, we don't have capacity for it. So we need to reach out and find someone. And they need to select the vendor. And, and the project is probably not that specified out. So what do we do as a logical next step? We don't reach out to the vendors because, because we're not allowed to. So we think about like, okay, what type of project it is. And then um, we invite consultants, which are really good in like helping us to structure our ideas in a way how we can like run them as a public tender. But they are probably not the people who are implementing the stuff. And uh, those people are usually also um, guiding the customer through the tender process. And they have the evaluation. And they are really good with the methodology because the methodology is something which has been proven over years. And it's there again and again. It's a pattern we, which we keep on repeating. And when I, as a client, say, like, I want to do a web project, they say, oh, you, you want to do it uh, with a web? Yeah, there. So we need cross-browser compatibility. Uh, we need accessibility, data privacy, IT security, of course. And they keep on filling in those requirements without understanding what the actual need of the project is. And the need is um, usually something really simple. And then it's, it, it gets enriched with all those requirements, which is the right thing to do. So don't get me wrong. Also, the tender process is the right thing to do because we want to have fair and, uh, equal uh, selection process here. But the scope, the initial problem of the project is m most of the times lost on the way. 
and it gets enriched with multiple meetings. We spend one or two months by assessing all the requirements, and then we ask for vendors who can provide us the solution we described. And this is most of the time the biggest challenge because the solution we described by then is based on knowledge which has been assessed from the past and has been repeated over years and probably not what I need if we come from a different perspective. The different perspective I would uh, like to introduce here is um, if we would start from scratch and if we could use any technology, what would be the best way? Because the things we know from the past are usually optimized to big software licenses that we buy products and not to build our own custom solutions, which are customized for the uh, company itself. So in instead of finding technology which we can adapt and integrate into the company to solve the business problem, we think about what are the products we can buy, and then we need to restructure our company to be able to use the product. And I think this is a fundamentally wrong approach for software projects because they have so much flexibility and such a huge degree of optimization we can apply instead of just like buying the next, next bigger software solution, which is replacing the outdated product here. Adi, you wanna watch any, uh, um, you wanna comment something on that? Hmm? I think one crucial point in, in the in the public tender is how are you gonna evaluate the, the offers? Because actually that is about that in the end. You know, if you, so for example, I'm gonna make a, an example. We have a public tender and it's 100% going to be judged on the price. So that is one, for example, something that is probably, you know, from what I have seen, you know, not very effective. Because then you like you describe every single and let's go back to into describing a software product as a house, you know, like you know, you can you you will just then use the cheapest way of how to build the house and you will just put that in and in the end, yes, you will build the house, but it is maybe not very very good solution. So maybe that is one of the first things that you have to think about or you know, it's like how are you gonna be evaluating this whole public tender? So the more, of course, you evaluate actually the technical approach that is going to be done or the, the way of how it is going to be you know, done. So often we see 70, 80 percent being like evaluation on, on the technology or what we are proposing or designs that we need to like do. You know, we often need to do a lot of work. You know, we are asked to do a lot of work that everybody is supposed to hand in. That's another topic that we can talk about, too. But um, but generally. If the price is only maybe 20% and 80% is actually that we bring out an innovative solution, that then maybe you will get out what you need from the public tender, potentially. Because then you have the flexibility of being actually bringing in a, a very technically advanced solution to the organization, you know, for like, okay, yes, higher price, but it's not going to end up, you know, that's that the weight... You know, I'm I'm curious to hear about like Ruben and Johanna. What's your experience is with the weighting of the price versus solution, actually? And and you also mentioned this this this. And I I, I know that from from my little experience was what I have shared in, in Bright Solutions. This this tremendous amount of work that that companies uh, put in the, in the first place, hours and days and weeks, um, preparing for this tender, it, which is also like a, a cost point, and 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 then this this uh, huge time of waiting, um, hanging around in in nowhere, um, and, and probably um, not getting anywhere. How um, how is that working, and how we could probably um, make that a more light process? Yeah. So I so. So that is actually like if we can just dive into that immediately. Like, so one thing is to to work a lot. You know, we have had tenders that we have calculated that it costs us like 500 hours to produce work for, like 500 hours. And if we just do like a simple calculation of like let's say 100 euro per hour, you know, this is just a, a ridiculously high amount of money that you're just spending. And why? It's because you need to fill in 
170 rows of questions. You need to give out like all these documents. You need to design something. You need to give a sitemap. You need to do all this work beforehand. And uh, just if, you know, just to be maybe in the top three, and then you're going to be invited to a, another meeting where you also need to perform and, and you show. Um, that's, of course, the decision that you need to make as a company. Is it really worth it? And maybe that's actually like, in the end, the company, you know, the organizations are probably going to get somebody who really fights for the tender. Uh, but in the end, you need to be you need to be really smart of like for me, seventy percent technical solution, thirty percent price would be, you know, I would not take the price and make price higher for the percentage. But I'm curious, you know, Johanna, what what you maybe saw? All right. Yes. Um, I actually saw a decrease in the focus on the price and i was very happy about this um still i felt like this is uh, a secret ruler at the end like even um, companies or organizations who highlighted we're not taking the lowest price are always the second question is always like mm, okay why is the price so high for example um but I also want to add actually a third um, thing here, a third uh, focus, which is the emotional bond with existing um, partners. I saw this like a, a tender request, which was going for weeks and weeks and weeks. And the final decision was with, oh, we, we, we're going back again with the old partner, even if we had some difficulties for example, not always, of course, but I, I heard it and it, it was very interesting because sometimes um, companies cho chose um, like the known area, the known issues instead of moving on. And the fear of, you know, like uh, getting along with the new partner was always very high. Um, so I want to make it more complicated to Yeah, but that's a good point, Joanna, because what you're actually saying there is the like, discussion. you know, the, the higher the like the technical part is, the more chances you actually have as an organization just to go and work with your, because it's more of a, you know, just a feeling, you know, because the, the price is easy. You know, if you, if you, if you put in 100,000 euros and, and somebody puts in 90,000, it's easy to select. But if you describe like, oh, I want to do it with React, and the other one says Vue.js, and the other one says Drupal headless, and the other one says Drupal, you know, not headless, whatever it is, like that is a, then it is difficult to like, you know, you know, there there are emotions that go in it, like, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so the the what I want that's a perfect word emotions. The um, request is always very rational, mm. and then the emotions kick in within the process. And I think also to put in emotions first and to be aware of how should my uh, uh, project partner be. Maybe we have it already or whatever. I think to put this but in the head also, as well is very important. important to just yeah. you know to to have like. The technical—I I always say—the technical part is the easy one, right? You know, but 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 the most like the, exactly. the do a connect yeah. to like like us here as a group. Do we connect as a group? Can we work together, or or do we maybe like don't like each other? Then we will not be able to be successful. So, how are you going to measure it? It will be then a a school project where one person performs everything and the others bring the pen or something. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I would like to take it even one step further because, like, we opened this conversation by the challenge that, like, the public tender process is basically killing innovation at its top, right? And one common mistake is that organizations, like, they always start with a project tender process in mind. They're looking for someone who can build their idea, and that's that's a it's a dangerous process going this way because um, you you brainstorm with your team and with your organization, you interview many people, and you try to figure out like 
what do we really need? What do we want? And you put this together and you want to make sure that you're really certain about what you're asking for, because now it's a public tender. Someone is going to build this project. So better do it right. Because like, as soon as you like contract with someone, there's no way back. So there's a lot of pressure on the individual people in the organization. But it would be so easy instead of thinking about a project in like project contract context about like we have an idea and we need a service provider which will help us to build this idea, to bring this idea to life. And instead of asking for a project contract with a fixed timeline, budget and scope, instead you could ask for a service contract, which would be much easier. So instead of like uh, getting a budget uh, about like a huge sum and a time scope and get the approval for it, you could instead like say like we want to build a project of like estimated this size. We maybe want to invest one year to figure out if this idea is feasible. Yeah, and instead of like asking for a fixed price project, just ask for a service provider because as an organization, this gives you great benefit by just selecting a service mm -hmm. provider. You can uh, focus on skill and value they're going to provide and contribute to your organization. And it would also give you an easy exit option because when you like run the project on time and material base, of course, you have a higher risk that the outcome might not be what you asked for in the first place. But to be honest, especially IT projects, they never turn out as they have been asked for. There's always continuous innovation and feedback and like the projects are much better in the end as soon as you started working with your IT provider um than you thought in the first place and most people and organizations i've seen they have been really happy with the outcome which was different from what they initially asked for of course like the overall way like the end goal is always the same but the way how we get there and how many mm. additional benefits we introduce along the way is something we can only do if we have like a really good service agreement and work on a time material base and when we figure out, like, we want to invest in a certain field because, like, we see some potential there, actually having a public tender process would kill this. It wouldn't allow me to do that. And instead, I have to do an expensive change request. Once I build a solution, I don't need in the first place, right? Because when I, like, I'm into, like, one third of the project, and I figure out uh, I need a different uh, thing here and, and a different feature. I have to build the whole project now because this is what we are yeah. committed to by a contract on a project basis. And then we, I have to pay expensive change requests. And it isn't something we should change immediately, like anyone who is uh, asking for you know, projects I, like that. I've also seen it. It's like, I feel like sometimes that the, the larger the agencies are or the software companies, the, the more ex experts they are actually in, like, you know, dealing with change requests. So, so they go in, like, with a, we, we've lost, like, tenders um, to like very, very large agencies where I think like in no way that they could be cheaper than us. But what they are obviously doing, because at least like in some tenders, you can actually ask afterwards uh, how much did the project in the end cost. And I have seen these numbers double or triple afterwards because these these large, large companies, they often have like, you know, experts in asking for change request, making sure like, aha, I didn't say in the, the requirement and all this stuff. So so to your point, uh, Ruben, like, you know, the smaller I think the company is, the more more probably honest we are about like the efforts. And the larger you are, you know, you have more processes of being able to like deal with it. But, uh, but I really like what you say, Ruben, you talk about the MVP process. Like rather do, uh, uh, so I have a thought about that. So you talk about like, you know, rather do like an MVP in the sense of like minimal viable product and or try to like ask for a service to do certain things. You know, the only thing that I always hear from the these uh, government or large organization is like uh, the procurement is so expensive to do. So therefore, we rather want to like do one big mm -hmm. procurement and then we are like a little bit just good to go. And an example of this, for example, in the in the city of Reykjavik, you know, they just did this big procurement, which I thought was really cool. They did like a, a big framework, this procurement. They said like, okay, we are just gonna have we are gonna have these things that we want to solve in the next five years, and we are asking to get companies that are willing to do all of these things. And so you have to hand in all your skill sets and all this stuff, and then we have a pool of companies that we can then deal with, and we have enough projects for everyone. You know, so like. Instead of like 
you know, instead of having every single time to go into this big process because it is so time consuming to do this procurement process. So I, so like that speaks a little bit against Ruben to your point, like of making like smaller service thing, because in the end, like it needs to have a budget because there is a budget that you need to match. So, but you know, so so for for me, like it is a little bit of like try to do it as small as possible, but try maybe to you know have it as open as possible. Maybe to to your point, Ruben, there, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the the bus, but the button question is a really good one because like if if I think about from a client perspective, I want to know how expensive it will be to like. Mm -hmm implement this project so of course i want to know like <laughs> like how long will it take and what is your rate card right so i'm asking for that it's a, it's an important metric but what i should rather do is thinking about like if i make this change what would be the positive business outcome for me as an organization so what is the potential uh, savings i have or the revenue impact so i need to change my thinking instead of just thinking about the cost of implementing something I need to think about like what's the added value for me. So when I think about like I have let's 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 make an assumption. I'm in an organization and I have a communication with merchants. And this merchant's communication is really time consuming because it involves a lot of manual work. My people are busy on the phone or in the, on the fax. Yes, still happens today. There's still faxes, and um, like they're always maxed out. And it's so uh, it's so difficult to uh, onboard new people because the process is so complex that it's time consuming. So every time when someone leaves the company, like it put, it adds additional stress to the team. So I want to automate this. I want to digitalize it. So in, instead of thinking like how the communication works today, I need to figure out how the communication could work in the future. And so so I need a different perspective. And I should start with assessing like how time consuming is this process. Most of the time we only think about like how long will it take to implement something. But I should rather like investigate how expensive is it to keep on doing like we do it today, how we're used to, and what is the hidden cost of that. And maybe I figure out like if I would automate some stuff, maybe I can save a six digit number. So I would have a budget which would be worth investing to solve this problem in the first place. Right. And this, like this is value driven, right? It's, it's not about like how long it, it will take. That's a different question. But now I can take this budget, a, a potential savings, and I can reach out to three different vendors and I can ask them without the need of a public tender process for a small budget. Like how would you approach this? How would you approach it? And how would you approach it? I would ask maybe for three prototypes for a really low budget. And then I get so much feedback and knowledge back, which I could use for a big public tender process, where I ask for a vendor who specialized in this field of technology, and I would select the technology which was most convincing from three different prototypes. But how many organizations do you know are actually doing that? Buddy, do you have some experience? Like, have you seen it in the field that organizations do it actually, like that? I have actually. I feel like Iceland is, if I like, can bring an example from Iceland. Iceland is definitely a little bit different from, from Germany. Of course, Iceland is 320,000 people and Germany is 80 million plus. So obviously it works a little bit differently. But I, but I feel like that in Iceland, the things have been done much more in a direction of like, hey, let's see if we can just do it and make it happen, you know, and then continue from there on. Uh, while on the contrary, you know, I see a lot of public tenders here in, in Germany where I get like, a specification of 100 pages and they're like i'm supposed to bring in the the big thing and then i then i start looking at is this a german procurement or is it a european procurement because if it is a german one i know it is like the limit is like 200,000 mm -hmm. and if it is like a european one it is more or something like that and um yeah so like i i have not seen in germany but then again i have to be fair too like we we do not participate at the moment a lot uh because it's it's also like our experience and also is unfortunately that we we often see that 
companies have been selected before and there is just a procurement to go and select that company a little bit. So that experience yeah. we have had mm-hmm. and I think many others have had that too. Yeah. So so therefore like we are always very picky on the German procurements that we participate in because we, we want to make sure that we have a fair yeah. uh, shot when we go and do it. Yeah. I can 100% uh, percent, uh, agree on that, buddy. So we had the same experience in uh, a lot of times. And um, I, I was burning to actually ask within this group about the difference between Germany and Iceland. Um, you mentioned now a few. Um, are there more? I, I think that those were the most important ones. But are there more different ways? So, like, I saw this in Iceland. This is great. Let's try to do this in maybe Germany. It is more so, like, maybe it's also um, so, especially for the government projects that we've been doing in Iceland, talking about government or university or something like that. Then, uh, like I said earlier, I feel like that it's always a little bit smaller. It's a little bit more of a, either a, hey, I'm going to get a pool of vendors that I can actually work with. And this pool, I'm going to be then just, you know, there's enough to do. While in Germany, it's more like I select one. So I once, not not long ago, there was a university uh, procurement happening here in Germany. And they were actually asking for two vendors, which I thought was pretty nice. Because it meant like that they, you know, but the 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 mistake that I did, in my opinion, they just asked for the cheapest price. And what I heard is like that the prices that were put in there were like not even on the scale that I could pay my people salaries. So so in the end, I don't know, like if if this was like companies that were outsourcing everything, uh, you know, or however it is, maybe it doesn't matter. Um But then people start to like playing with the hourly rates. Like, you know, I say my hourly rate is just 50, but like I will just only work for 30 minutes. And then, you know, they, like you hear all this madness, but that that's like, that's nonsense. And I would never participate in anything like that. So, so there is all this gamification happening. Yeah. That, you know, so how do you like your hourly rate? Is that 45? It's that for 45 minutes or 60? You know, nobody is asking for it. So like, I, I don't know, like, hey, I just... I try to be as honest as I can, but uh, I'm, I'm definitely having the experience here in Germany that I feel like a lot of companies are are trying to trick this A, by either like going in with like much lower mm. rates or or trying to like go in with very low thing and then in the end like do change request, change request and get more, you know, so um, but I Again, it's also more larger here. <laughs> how how could we get there to a more honest process? Because I I see there are two points, or I, I have a question and, and a point to make. And uh, you mentioned that already before, uh, Bunny, that the that there are like sometimes when you fill in those public tenders, you have to fill out like hundreds of pages or answer, uh, answer hundreds question. of questions. Who, who who's reading that? Like in the end, like who's checking that? And on the other side, if it's not even a, a like a real a fair process, how we get to a li- to a more honest process where where you really go for 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 checking the values, what what I need, um, how I how I get how I get there, um, and with whom I'm gonna work in the end to get the best result out, uh, instead of like like punching this those uh, um, the, uh, hundreds of questions and and probably I I just I don't know I don't have the numbers, but if you make a public tender, you probably get offers from several different companies 10 20 whatever and then you have like not to check like hundreds of questions you have would have to check thousands of questions and this is all like just a big game in the end um that uh, um you're going to select uh, the partner that you have already worked with uh, so why 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 wasting those those resources for everyone i i went through a, a procurement not long ago i think the It was around December last year where the third final phase was. So phase number one was like a little bit of a, we are going to check if you qualify. So there was like 10 questions. You know, you had to put in your, you know, legal stuff. 
your revenue, your staff, your skills, you know, just like basic stuff. And then of those, I think they invited like six companies. And these six companies really had to do the work. They had to like, you know, work through everything. And then from those, three were invited to have a, a um, presentation in front of a, a jury. And the jury actually like, and in the end, we got amazing answers back from the jury. So we were second place in that particular tender. And, but we also got like, for every single thing we did, we got like, what uh, grade did we get? And what grade did the others get that got it? And what was the difference? So, for example, you know, we the other company that won was obviously somehow much larger. So they had like all the checkboxes in like ISO certification and whatever it is that we didn't have. So therefore, they got higher for that. So I thought it was actually a pretty nice process. And I felt like even though we spent a lot of effort on it because we really wanted to get it, I really in the end I felt like hey, I was treated fair. And this was a this was a UK it was in the United, United Kingdom uh, yeah, public tender so this was not yeah. a tender in Germany and I have never seen this for example in Germany I've never had like this this feeling like afterwards where I'm like ah I really I really understand why maybe they thought that the other company was better or in you know okay if we win it's it's easy because then you ask for feedback and then you will get why you won so that's good. But if you're second or third or fifth or tenth, you never really get the feedback. So you start to get actually the like, feeling like maybe there is no feedback. Maybe right. there is, Daniel, maybe there is nobody reading this stuff. So having that process very transparent is like uh, a very good thing. Yeah. I, I would like to ask you something because I have seen it many times. I'm curious to how you experience this. Like, how many times did you see requirements like, um, for example, we have a German client and they are asking for vendors in Germany. Project language is German because, yeah, of course, it's like the native language for the client, but like they are actually excluding the top tenants from all around the world, especially when we talk about web technology. Like Germany is usually a bit behind. Like there are other countries way ahead and like really innovative mindsets, good technologies, but like, nope, nope, has to be local. Like. How much would you consider like local constraints as a challenge uh, in the public tender? For me, I actually, so I actually think that, uh, especially when you're dealing with taxpayers' money, and I'm very, I have very strong opinion on this. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like as a as a governmental entity, for example, a university or a, or a, let's say, I'm living in Frankfurt. Let's say this uh, the city of Frankfurt. I feel like that if they are doing a tender, that they should actually bring the money from the taxpayers that are in this area, at least back to companies that are in this area. So local constraints, I think they are mm -hmm. really good and healthy for uh, when you're dealing with taxpayers' money. So I think it is important, you know, because I feel like, you know, and now I, you know, Now I have a, a, like, we have two or I have three companies, one in Iceland, one in Germany, and one in Spain. And, and like, we are building up the Icelandic company. So, for example, you know, I, I would think it is irresponsible of the Icelandic government that they are just, like, you know, getting money from the taxpayers, and then there's, they're just, like, putting that out somewhere else. But now comes towards your question, Ruben. Maybe that's just still more cheaper to do it somewhere else. So that's then better for the taxpayers, right? Well, I, I would always consider it from the value perspective. Like, if there's someone who has like great technology which is compliant with my requirements, and like mm. compliance is a really, really big topic. Always, like, you need to comply with data privacy and IT security uh, standards. That's for sure. And of course, if you are in the European Union, uh, like, especially for government, they have to work with like preferably uh, companies in their own country or at least in the European Union before they're even allowed to yeah. contract people from outside. So those constraints make sense. And like, I really think like uh, those things give us a great mm -hmm. degree of freedom. Like it's not very limiting because EU is big 
and we have a lot of uh, top talent here. Um, but the challenge is, and I, I really want to emphasize this, technology is innovating faster than anyone could keep up. Just, just look back the last mm. uh, 10 years, like how fast technology innovated. But we are still applying the same procurement methodologies like 50 years ago. And the way how we assess technology and vendors is still the same. And we're applying old standards to modern problems. And I would like to see that, uh, I would like to see some change in that. And I would also like love to see more often, like there are some companies who are already adapting like those things like uh, building a prototype mm. first, then building an MVP. In, or also let's make this uh, right, like an MVP, a minimal viable product. This is not a prototype. This is the first application I can uh, own and operate as an organization. So in case it's a website, an MVP has to be fully compliant with IP security and data privacy. There's no way around that. I need a legal approval for the terms of usage. So an MVP is not a simple task. It's just the first iteration which allows me to go live. And everything before that might be a closed beta or something like that, where I invite a target group to use acceptance test, but the MVP is a go live product. And everything after that is like ongoing <laughs> innovation. But most tender processes just have a fixed budget and the product has to be fixed and like it's done, for example, after one year. And then the organization expects that they can keep on using the product for the next five or 10 years before they have to do the next public tender instead of considering the project something which will grow like you start with a small tree and you keep on harvesting it and like <laughs> giving water and so on until it grows to big tree which uh, like carries many yeah. fruits but it is not how it, like this is how it could work but not how it's working no, today and through and i think like you 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 make an excellent like if we now go back into the like you know does it kill innovation you know so so I totally think like that the, often the mentality, you know, is like, oh, I need to get the price for it and then it gets done and then it lives there for the next five years, just like you said, Ruben. And that is actually not very healthy for a software project mm -hmm. because a software project needs to be like worked on and improved and we need to listen to what the users say. We need to like, we need to get feedback on like, is there anything that is missing? You know, like just like on your phone, you know, you're constantly getting updates and there are some changes being done. So the public procurements, they need to start becoming more like that. So you can actually start innovating and becoming better because, you know, how quickly changes technology now, like with JavaScript frameworks, you know, that has been that have been rising in the last years, you know, like who would have known that five years ago? And who knows now in five years from now what the next thing is? Like maybe, you yeah. know, I have a 10-year-old son and when he was born or he's 11 today, but when he was born, we didn't even have smartphones. Think about that, 10 years ago. And today, like uh, we all have them and we do everything with it. We do our, you know, we buy our things with it and... You know, and, and when I think back, like 10 years ago, I was playing Snake, right? <laughs> on my on my Nokia 5660. <laughs> and uh, and today, like, you know, I'm 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 buying stuff with my Apple Watch. And uh, and this is only yeah. 10 years. And now if we think five years back, like and so after that, MySpace came, you know, <laughs> whatever it was yeah. all called. And uh <laughs> and now we are just expecting to yeah. be able to buy everything online. So, so, so therefore, as a as a as an organization or as a governmental entity, you need to be flexible of adapting to. So, you need to make your procurement process flexible, so you can actually adapt to what is going to happen next. So that speaks one hundred percent for your MVP or our MVP approach. Um, together with like, let's say MVP, and maybe maybe yeah. let's do it like this. I think actually. My husband wrote a blog post about this and put it on our website. Um, he actually said, like, it's better to spend 50% of the budget or 25% of the budget in the beginning and then actually, like, take the rest of the budget throughout the next two years. 
So how can you maybe do a public tender like this where you say, hey, how can we do a MVP for 100? But then you're going to get 200 after that that is going to be for the next two years and we're going to use that flexible. I don't know. I would even go that way that we say, like, let's flip around the process. Usually we have the public tender for the project and like we have 80% for the uh, like development, yeah, like the initial investment and then 20% of the budget for the maintenance operations for the next five years. And I, I think this is like, this is, this process is flawed in its principle mm -hmm. because we know technology is changing and change is an integral part owning and operating an application, especially if it's exposed to the internet. Because like the internet, this is like I go on the street and things happen on the street, people come around and like people with different interests. I, I never know what's coming next day, right? I need to be prepared. So things is important. And so the, uh, the public tender should focus on spending 20% of the budget for proving that the technology is working in the 80% of ongoing things for the next years. And instead of thinking about the project, we think about a product. And um, what, I, what I love seeing in the industry, and this is like, it's like uh, slowly taking place also here in Europe, is that organizations think about like building product teams again. So starting with a project, maybe with the help of an IT vendor, but building the knowledge in-house and having a small team which owns a specific product as a service to their clients. And so the team is growing, they build, they know how in-house, they get the service as they need, and maybe they have some like help in the beginning, but the vendors are then slowly fading out or focusing on other innovations along the way. Um, but they understand how a product team can grow over time, and they have like a certain budget for it. And so they don't think about like how expensive is it to build the application. They think about like how expensive is change management and running a web application is change management ongoing. And so I would think about like, okay, uh, how much money would I like to invest on a monthly basis? So this would tell me how big the team could be and also how much innovation I can drive. Like the rate of innovation is limited by those constraints. And if the team has the flexibility to ask for professional opinions from outside of the organization, and we have a lightweight procurement process for that, or we found a partner which allows us to like consult on a continuous base, this is like even better, right? Yeah, but talking about the COVID now, like I am actually, I'm, I'm actually, so, you know, to, I think like, I think we've solved it. I mm -hmm. think we have like a good idea here. <laughs> Uh, now we just have to hope that everybody is listening to us and doing procurement <laughs> that you just like for our next uh, next thing that you're going to put out, like, you do it like that. But I'm really curious about the COVID situation that we have now. And um, and maybe because like we've also been chatted about, chat, chatting about this, but I am amazed in Germany, for example, how quickly some things have been like going you know, on. And let's just talk about things like, you know, um going to you know get a vaccine and there's like this obviously this software that everything is being registered in however that is all being done i don't know but um you know i'm curious to hear do you do you, any of you like know like how you know were they public tenders for all these things now in this because i feel like there's so much stuff that has just been rising right do you know or at least like have you read anything about it Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I heard about uh, uh, one, one, one particular application that uh, was doing like the the follow ups on 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 contacts, um, yeah. and I, I remember that um, this this app called Luca, I they they built they built just the, the project and started selling those those uh, applications and services per license to different uh, government entities, right, um, which was causing uh, some kind of trouble um, <laughs> because other felt excluded and everything. Um, but I think it's all in, in, in speci uh, specifically in this case um, where you have an urge uh, to, to deliver a, pro a product or, or a, a solution for something, 
um, you have to think about, okay, uh, who, who comes first and can provide really a solution for that, uh, probably get a shot um, because um, quickly we need to fix the situation, right? Uh, yeah. Life lives are depending on that, and and probably and probably I don't I don't want to wait for a tender uh, for six months uh, to see who else uh, is uh, probably uh, able to provide a solution for that. Uh, so there, there, you should again always have this, this balance between what is really, uh, required and, and who's gonna get there and uh, for, for what price, uh, and, and then, de and then decide fast, right? And, and I think this is what I, what I heard also from, from you guys in, in different contexts right now, um, that, that we should be more focused on, on the solutions and how to get there instead of having these huge, huge processes, uh, in the backyard. And uh, what I really loved in this conversation was uh, what you was mentioning, buddy, that um, this participation between the person or the organization that ma makes the tender and this this feedback loops, right? Having this constant feedbacks uh, on on the, on the process to make it more transparent and make it, make it more light, right? And and even if you didn't hmm. want the tender in this case, um, you got a lot of feedback, and probably you can use this feedback for the next tender um, with a different partner or with different, maybe the same organization and get uh, no, just better I'm, results. And the, reason, right? and, and the reason why I asked was just that yeah. because no. most of the tenders I've participated in, they have lasted at least for four to six months. So, so therefore, like, you know, seeing all this, like, Corona Warn app and the Luca app and all these, like, software, I'm, like, wondering, like, how did they manage to do all this stuff so quickly and still be innovative? So maybe because they they didn't do the, you know, maybe because they, they actually probably did this, how you were describing it before, Ruben, that we have a problem and then we need to solve it. So yeah. let's just get the company mm -hmm. to do it and we are going to get the results. And that's a key takeaway here. So instead of run, writing 100 pages yeah. of requirements and telling vendors how they should do their job, just describe your problem and what you need to solve. And the important thing are the constraints. So they need to know, like, what are your standards? And there are, like, like standards which are defined by law, right? Like legal requirements, of course, but there are also standards in your organization. And so for the vendor, the hardest part is to understand, like, how's your organization working? So if you're not able to describe your key problem on, let's say, three pages, and like those three pages could contain, like, everything the vendor needs to know to make you an offer and to make a proposal how they would solve your problem, then you're probably doing it wrong. And yes, there are, like, most of the times we have old projects which are already there. Like there's a, like there's an extra application running for ten years, and we need to do like it's it, like an end of life, and we need to replace it now. Okay, so we have like a compelling event here coming, right? End of life, we shut it off, and then our business is uh, also offline, can't be. So we need to move. This is a compelling event, but please do not make the mistake to describe how your old solution is yeah. working. Say why you need it and what should be the positive business outcome, but ask the vendors how they would uh, solve this on a creative way. And you would be surprised by asking different people how they would actually uh, solve the problem. And you can take this feedback and you can share it in the next iteration. Yeah. And you can take it to the next level if you like, but it will not happen if you specify everything out and like have like a budget of. Let's say let's put one million here. You have one year time. Go for it. And along the way, you recognize like, oh, we could do so much better. I agree. Any last thoughts from you guys, uh, Johanna, Buddy, about uh, how you would like to see this uh, tender process evolving in the near future as we come to an end of our wonderful and insightful conversation? I I have high hopes, just as uh, Buddy already said, like. What happened with the German, uh, 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 um, yeah, systematic in terms of speed mm. and um, all the requirements yeah. within the Corona time? We saw something change. Um, we don't need to talk about problems and issues here, but even like simple things as remote working, like there are so many aha effects right now. So. I'm super happy about this talk we just had because that that 
proves me like those high hopes are not secret uh, uh, hopes that I take away and bury sometime, but are realistic. And I can't wait to share those thoughts also with clients because I think that educating and sharing this from the vendor side, um, from the agency side, is something we have to keep pushing. So we can't expect this change, but we have to. Yeah, push I think I think it was great. It. I, I had a lot of yeah. fun and uh, to just talk to, you know, hear what you know. I'm also really happy to hear that we just actually, you know, we we share the same opinion on it and same experience. Sounds like. So I, I also have the feeling that we are probably not the only vendors out there that have this experience. And uh, yeah, I think uh, these crazy pandem pandemic that has been going on and like uh, stopping us, us for, from traveling around the world as we were doing before and, and, and traveling to our offices <laughs> is uh, allowing us to like be a little bit more uh, effective, I think, like, you know, in many ways. And uh, and just like you said, Johanna, I think we can learn a lot from the the speed. And I, I hope that it also will be successful. I'm still waiting for that we will get some kind of a digital pass, like you say, a vaccine pass. You know, I don't know if that's going to be a European thing or if it's going to be like, I'm really curious. I haven't seen a tender for that. There's probably a tender out there for that. Um, but I'm, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm curious because that needs to happen pretty quick. If everybody's getting a vaccine now, then, uh, you know, and yes, this was recorded sometime in, in the pandemic, but it's going to have an end soon, right? <laughs> Just for the record. <laughs> no, I, I think it was great. I, no. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Guys, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you very much for, for, for the participation and, and all your insights and, and comments and perspectives. Um, I also really do hope um, that this uh, conversation gets out also on the other side uh, um, and, and people are, are listening to the different ideas and topics and, and probably in a couple of months or a year or whatever, um, we're going to see some changes there and pushing that uh, topic forward is, uh, I guess, really helpful and just opening up perspectives. So thank you again thank you. Um, for participating today and see you next time. <laughs> yes, thank, thank you so much. Have Bye. Bye-bye. A big thank you to Buddy, Johanna and Ruben for participating in this special episode. If you think about participating in a public tender or you are about to launch a public tender for your organization, reach out to Buddy, Ruben or Johanna. They can provide you with the right tools and frameworks to make your next public tender a real success story. You can subscribe to The Virtual Frontier on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube or wherever podcasts can be found. And while you're there, you can leave us a review. Please support us on Patreon so we can keep improving the show and your experience. On behalf of the team here at the Virtual Frontier, I want to thank you for listening. So until next episode, keep exploring new frontiers.